Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 18. Today I'm speaking with Bill Masters, the original father of 3D printing. We discuss the origins of 3D printing, the current and future state of 3D printing, and being a lifelong entrepreneur. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Bill Masters, the original father of 3D printing. He also is an entrepreneur and he started a kayak company called Perception Kayaks, which was the, uh, at the time when he was working on it, the largest um, kayak manufacturer in, uh, in the world, pretty much in the United States at the very least. Um, so welcome, Bill. Thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate you being here. Oh, I'm glad to be here. Thank you for so, asking. No, th- thank you for uh, thank you for coming on. So I, I'd love for I'd love for you to kind of tell you know everyone a little bit about who you are, um, what you've been doing, you know what you've done, uh, and how long I guess you've been doing uh, what you're doing, which is. You've really, you know, all, all, you know, to encompass everything you've done, you've essentially just been an entrepreneur who's went out and started uh, at least, you know, two, uh, two, you know, uh, companies, um, perhaps more. I could be wrong. Um, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I, I, I grew up in uh, South Carolina, uh, went to Clemson, to Clemson University, got a degree in electrical engineering, uh, worked my way all through college while I was going to college, and uh, started a kayak company while I was in college because uh, I like to sometimes refer to myself as a, a controlled adrenaline junkie, <laughs> and uh, kayaking fulfilled that need. I also enjoy building things, so I built my own kayaks. Uh, unfortunately, broke easy, the earlier ones in fiberglass, so we started developing much more robust fiberglass, our composite kayaks, uh, did a lot of innovations in there, built the first Kevlar kayak, ever made out of a material called Kevlar, and then discovered a process called rotational molding, designed and built all the machines for that, and then it took off. That was that's what revolutionized the industry and made kayaking accessible to the masses. So you said you, you built a, a Kevlar kayak. Does, does that mean it was essentially like bulletproof? It was like a like a bulletproof vest. Well, Ke- Kevlar happens. Kevlar is bulletproof, but Kevlar is actually a fiber that is used in composites. And the right. original kayaks were composite. Composite people. Composites the bigger category. Fiberglass, meaning one of the things you can laminate together. Fiberglass. You can do nylon fabrics. Uh, there's other fabrics now, but Kevlar was one of the very first. Gotcha. And it was made, Kevlar was actually spun in South Carolina as a beginning material, and then it was woven in Anderson, South Carolina, which was 30 miles from our house. So we're kind of in the hotbed of textiles, and back in the 60s, of course, Greenville, South Carolina was the textile center of the world. Right. So so, so, you, so you got into kayaking 
you know, be, because of your your interest in or your need to kind of have that adrenaline rush, and as you mentioned, in a controlled environment, um, which which is which is uh, I mean I, I guess depending on what kind of water you're in, it maybe it's not as controlled as in some as in some instances. But um, what led you to you know what led you aside from that what you know what other interests what other things interested you in kayaking? Well, uh, uh, kayaking nobody has to get hurt. Uh, it's it's you the water and your skills and your your mental. It's a kayaking is a very mental game. And of course, I'm a whitewater kayaker. Uh, I made kayaks for flatwater people, but that's quite boring. And and I can give you great <laughs> stories about uh, ocean kayakers and whitewater kayakers, and the and the the mentality, the psychographics of each. They're very different people, but they both take very very serious risks. One's controlled, meaning an ocean kayaker. The other whitewater kayakers, we just go out and jump in the middle of it and run. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. It's, it's, I, I, uh, I've, I've done a couple of different kayaking uh, adventures. Uh, one in Grand Cayman with my girlfriend several years ago, and then one out on a lake, which I guess is still water, which is which is probably which is pretty boring, I guess, for you. But we we did one of those two two person kayaks, and we were just yeah. really ter- we were really terrible at it. Uh, I think I just think we weren't in in sync when it came to the way we paddled. So I ended up doing most of the paddling, <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, and and at one point in Grand Cayman, I was just so tired because we, we we were out on the ocean and they took us around in different places, like different parts like near shore, pretty much. But um, and uh, they 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 ended up tugging, they like they tied a rope to one end of our kayak and they just what well, the, the guy the tour guy was just pulling us along. <laughs> it was. It was a uh, it was a nice rest, but it was kind of embarrassing because everyone else was so far ahead of us. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I can go into detail about kayak, but I don't think that's what we're doing today. But <laughs> no, uh, no. kayaking, yeah, kayaking. If you're kayaking correctly, you're using your middle torso and you're using the inside thighs of your legs. Your arms right. are just extenders, and if you if you're not correctly kayaking or bracing, then it gets really tiring quick. You can say that again. I, I I guess I was doing it way wrong. <laughs> um, so one of the you know one of the interesting things about you um, is that people may not know this, but you are technically uh, the father of three D printing, uh, in the sense that you yeah. fought, uh, I I believe and I, I think I have the date right here, but you filed a patent in July nineteen eighty four. Um, I- Yes. For for a three D printing kind of manufacturing process. Um, yes. I, I'd love you to t- tell everyone and just how, how did that how did that patent come to be? Like, was this was this related to your your work in kayaks or was it completely separate? It was a kayak trip, and it was uh, right after I graduated from Clemson. Uh, I was a late bloomer. I, I when I came out of high school, I worked a couple of years and got married. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, then I uh, uh, went from there to uh, to Clemson University, worked my way through Clemson, and uh, got the degree in electrical engineering. But at the time, I I was uh, uh, I started kayaking, 
And at the time, and that that era, we most of our kayaking was on Chattooga River, which is a wild and scenic river, which is the border between Georgia and South Carolina, which is a Class Five river, a serious river. And uh, so we always camped literally right on the side of the river on Highway Seventy Six Bridge. And so ba- one night, yeah, yeah I was going to say ba- basically that that's a river that I should never enter in my current kayaking. State. You should go. You should. You should. You should go. You should go with uh, a raft cup. Okay. So, so anyhow, long story short is uh, one night, you know, you're all sitting around drinking beer. I'm 26 years old. I've been out of school for a year and a half or so. And uh, it was like, well, you know, why can't you, why can't you make things, you know, in space? Because at the time, space program was big. And, of course, I came up in that era where, you know, you were a space guy and all that. Mm-hmm. So and and so I I went to I was in my actually sleeping bag we slept right on the ground at the time look up and there's the stars and I said well why can't you stick those stars together and so anyhow that basically was uh, uh that's what started the whole thing so I'm sleeping we just had that conversation. You know, it was a it was an era of space travel. We just you know had to go to the moon, and so I looked up at the stars and I went, ah, why can't you just stick those stars together? But the key to it is you got to have a seed point. You got to have somewhere to start, tip of your finger, so to speak, the tip of a pen. And if you stick the first one there, you can shoot stars and stick them together, and you can make a object. And then I use the analogy of spitballs. If I was standing, you know, what you do when you're 11, 12 years old, you chew up paper <laughs> and throw it and stick it to the wall. Uh, now, I never did that, but I, I know other people who might have done that. But <laughs> of course. If, you were, if you were standing on a balcony and you could throw the first spitball and you stick it on a point, then you could start throwing spitballs around that and stick them. You could make an object. And that was the, that was the genesis of the patent. Now, that was 76. I still had long hair, drove a Volkswagen van, and was broke. <laughs> and so then, then I was telling my patent attorney, probably got, we got to be friends, and I followed a lot of patents in the kayak world. And I told Court one day, and Court used to work at the patent office, I said, here's this idea of sticking spitballs together and making an object. And Court said, let me do research next time I'm in D.C. And he came back and he said, there is nothing on the books like this. So that was probably 1980 that court did the first, you know, research on it. And then I finally got enough money in, you know, 83, 84 to file the patent. So, so it I, actually started in 76 and then, then it finished up then. Right. So, so, the, so I think a key thing there is, you know, the fact you were determined to kind of see this through, right? That's correct. And then, then I, then I filed that patent and then I actually, uh, I kept trying to raise the money, but the kayak company was growing very quickly at the time. Oh, so you were, you then, were doing both companies at the same time. You were trying to juggle the two. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, the kayak company, I always had a research division of the kayak company. The kayak mm-hmm. company had its own R&D division that, that did research for kayaks. That's how we were able to make the best kayaks in the world. We were constantly coming out with new materials and new methods. And and in that research division, I did other things. I did a graphics process in there when I sold a company that was worth more than the entire company, and they threw it in the trash and sent all the research to the dumpsters. Uh, when the oh, VCs wow. bought my company, yeah, the, the the research we did was pretty phenomenal. 
But that's what I do, and that's what I had enjoyed doing. And so I used a, a percentage of my my profits in the company to always do research in other fields. Gotcha. 3D printing happened to be one of them, and that was in the early 90s. And then we we raised the first money through Palmetto Seed Capital in South Carolina, which is a venture capital uh, part of, 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 of South Carolina, through Governor Campbell. And that was the first 200000 Then then there was 15 million raised on top of that. And it, in the middle of that, I lost control of the patents uh, through just legal, legal wrangling through venture capitalists. Right. But as, a, as, a, as a, uh, one of the stockholders told me, he said, shut up, sit down. You, you just increased your net worth $4 million. <laughs> and I went, okay, well, maybe I, maybe I need to pay attention to the kayak company. Then I had a, a mentor, which is a really smart guy. And Bob told me, he said, you know, he said, look at it two ways. Put all your eggs in one basket and you watch that basket or put a few eggs in a bunch of baskets and just expect one or two of those baskets are going to get stolen. So I took the advice and I put all my eggs in the kayak basket and I watched that basket, you know, and, and that's what made my wealth. Because mm-hmm. I, when I cashed out, I cashed out at more than anybody's ever cashed out in the kayak industry. Gotcha. So then, well, that's awesome. Then, yeah, so it was a great it was a great lesson, and it's a great lesson for entrepreneurs. Is you know if you got if you got a you got a good thing, pay attention to it. Don't spread yourself out, and right. uh, and and don't let anybody else get into that basket. It's actually so funny that's that, it's actually funny that you kind of bring that up. Um, that we're having this conversation today. Um, uh, I, I don't know if you follow Twitter at all, if you follow uh, Elon Musk's kind of Twitter feed or ramblings on Twitter. Um, but basically, you know, he's a guy who's who's hugely successful. He's he's smart guy, built a number of different companies, and it has his hand in a lot of different kind of pots. And yesterday he was complaining about some coverage he's gotten on the on different news sites about his uh, Tesla cars, and long story short, he said he wanted to. He said I want to start a site where people can rate the reputation of like articles, off uh, journalists, sites, and stuff like that. And the, my first response to that was, like, dude, you're spreading yourself way a little too thin, don't you think? Um, and I, I I do think that you know one of the most important things uh, entrepreneurs can do is have to be successful is to focus, uh, focus on, on on their key business um, and not spread themselves too thin because that's when you get into trouble. Well, that's that's what you, what you run into is you got a you got like Musk and myself. We're we're visionaries, right. and when you're a visionary, you can see so, you you see so many things, and it, it's a curse. So it's all at once. Like, well, we can do it this way, or we can do it better that way. And, 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 and we tend to go off and chase things. I was just lucky that the kayak company was growing. My God, at, at, at that point that I started 3D, uh, uh, actually it was called Perception Systems, the kayak company was doubling every two years, two and a half years. That's phenomenal growth. Uh, just yeah, to hang amazing. on to that. Yeah, and so, so uh, it's, it's real easy to stand back and realize that at that kind of growth, you're losing your culture, and you got mm-hmm. to start paying attention to the culture. Then when that when that mentor of mine said, you know, all eggs in one basket or a bunch of baskets, it became obvious I had to pay attention to that one basket, 
and it like i said it paid off well but that's a lesson to all entrepreneurs it's it's easy you start thinking you've got the golden touch and if you do one thing you're going to do it another and and in, and until they start making money, you really haven't done anything. Musk right. is an example. He cashed out with a big amount of money. He's funded all these things, but other people's funding them also. Right. Uh, when I sold my company, I, I got into several things. Uh, I've made a little money on a few, but as a friend of mine that runs a big chain of uh, gas stations here locally, he said, he said, everybody looks at me as like a really smart entrepreneur. He said, they don't see the other 30 companies that fail for every one that makes it. Right. No, absolutely true. So I want to get back to 3D printing a little bit and talk about, um, well, actually, first, I saw when I was on your website on, on BillMasters3D.com, uh, I saw that uh, the very first thing you 3D printed, now I could be wrong, but it looked like a rocket ship or was it a kayak? <laughs> The, the first thing I printed was actually a rotary pin. Oh, okay. Yep, and and I walked in and I had a I had a great engineer at work for me, and Bob was brilliant. He had his masters in 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 mechanical engineering, and at the time it, it, the computers were just starting to make things happen, and and there was a thing called MasterCam, which is a CAM program, and uh, then there was a thing AutoCAD. And I'm sure you've right. heard of PageMaker or, or Adobe. Well, uh, AutoCAD was the early CAD program. MasterCam was the program that took the the CAD program, meaning AutoCAD, or SolidWorks now is another one. There's a, a bunch of them now. But it turned it into machine code that made a, especially a three-axis milling machine, go X, Y, Z and make a part. And that's, all, that's, that's called subtractive manufacturing, where you mill something away. Well, I, I didn't realize it, but when I walked in, Bob says, hey, I got the first part. You know, we're making just surfaces. He says, you got anything you want to make? And I pull my rotary pin off of my lapel of my jacket. And I said, yeah, Bob, make this. <laughs> and he, about, about two hours later, he walks into my office and he said, here, boss. And I just like to fell out of my chair. I was like, how did you do that, Bob? And he was just so proud of himself. Well, Clip art. Do you know what clip art is? Well, yeah. in, in the master cam, they had a clip art of a gear. And it, and that, that was the gear that could be ma made on a milling machine. Well, Bob just grabbed that clip art of a gear, which is exactly what a rotary pin is, put it in the machine code, spit drops. He had it working really well and made the first part rotary pin. Little little do do people know that was the first part ever made shoot drops make parts in in three D printing. Wow, that's, yeah. that's really and there's cool. about six <laughs> yeah there's about six ways to do three D printing, and then there's some pseudo ways that people say are three D printing which really aren't. Okay, F fill us in a little bit on on those ways a couple of those ways. Well, as an example, uh, mine shoot drops make parts is a pure 3D printing. You know, it's taking a it's taking a, a computer CAD file and it's taking something and shooting something out. Additive, it's an additive process, but it's it's doing it robotically to make it to make a 3D part. Okay, mm -hmm. uh, uh, Scott Crump at Stratasys. We used to well, we knew each other. We used to argue as go, Scott, I had the first patent on extrusion, which is like cake decorating cake decorating and you, you can squirt out stuff and you can go around and around in a circle and you can make a part 
that's what most of these little cheap auto bots and uh, maker bots are are doing. They use extrusion process. Mm-hmm. Then there's then there's patents who people say are a patent is where you reach and get a brick, and you stick a stack a brick on a stack. Well, that's not 3D printing. That's 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 assembly. That's robotic assembly. And so right. the lines being blurred between pure 3D printing, where you design something and then you can make it versus taking a, a robot and stacking, like stacking brick. There's, a, there's an earlier patent on, on stacking, basically stacking brick that someone's claiming, okay, this could be 3D printing. It's not. And so I think the industry right now is kind of coming to grips with what is 3D printing. And just like in the, in the early days of airplanes or anything else, it's, it's, you know, who gets the news out there and what, what the definition of it is and what's the purest definition of it. Right. So I, I actually, um, I have an interesting story you might like, actually. So I was at a conference in Seattle, I want to say in 2009. And there was a guy who was there at the conference. His name was Bree Pettis. I'm sure you're familiar with that name. And Say that name again. Bree Pettis, the, uh, nope, the founder. He, 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 he's the founder. He was the founder of MakerBot. He was a teacher. Yeah. 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 So, so, so I was at this conference and he was there and he had, he had really kind of just started working on MakerBot a bit and he brought, I guess, one of the early MakerBots to this conference and was printing, 3D printing uh, different things for people uh, at the conference. And it was the first time I had seen a 3D printer um, Mm -hmm. in person and I thought it was the coolest thing. Uh, and you know, com- and actually MakerBot, uh, is, is based, uh, here in Brooklyn where, where I'm, where I'm based. Um, I've been to their headquarters a couple times and, uh, they were also a couple years ago, they were bought by Stratasys actually. Um, and I'm just curious, you know, in, 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 you know, you didn't find much success in 3d printing in the 3d printing space you obviously were much more successful in the kayaking space but you know utilizing your 3d printing technologies that you kind of researched um but the but from an actual kind of you know um development of you know like developing a printer and selling it and things like that um you know that wasn't really where your success was what do you think these guys did um especially the maker bots who were trying you know who 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 recently have had their own issues, I guess. Um, but you know, for for a period of like I would say ten years or so, there were there was a huge push for mainstreaming um, yeah. 3D printers. Yeah, that that's pretty easy. Now now you you've heard you've uh, heard the joke the 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 first first mouse doesn't get the cheese, the second one does. Right, exactly. Okay, poor first mouse gets it gets into trouble. Well, the reason that MakerBot started is because my patent and Scott Crump's patent at Stratasys expired on extrusion. Mm-hmm. That's what they see. So they had they had almost twenty years of research of other people to look back at and go, okay, well here's what worked and here's what didn't work. They took that and went, okay, now the patents are free. We can go out and build anything we want. And all they did was miniaturize it. Now, my original extrusion process is I extruded out a UV-cured glue, the same glue they use to fill your teeth. If you went to the dentist and he 
did a fill in your tooth and then he says okay now close your eyes or they put this little thing up over your eyes and it goes beep suv and it, mm-hmm. and it makes the, the the glue set well that was my first extrusion process i have models a whole box of models that that where i made the first extrusion process well scott did the same thing and now what's happening with these little maker bots is they just simply heat up a material it is typically abs abs is a form of plastic and they heat it up it's just, you know what these glue guns like a home glue gun that you just pull the trigger and you glue stuff together with, with uh, hot melt glue. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with that? Okay. Well, that's all the MakerBot is. It's nothing but a hot melt glue gun that just runs continuously. And it just wrote, the robot keeps the head going around and around and around. And right. over the last 20 years, my God, the software, the computer speed, the software has increased hundreds of times. So that was an easy product to make that they made on the MakerBot and he did it right after my patent expired. See, Scott's patent was just within a couple of months of mine. I, I beat Scott at Stratasys on the extrusion patent. I had several patents in this field. and um, But they all expired. And when they expired, that's when the industry took off. Right. That makes that makes sense. Um, so, one of the, I mean, one of the things that you know, I remember hearing uh, from lots of people in the space, uh, you know, that while 3D printing was kind of taking off and, and, and you know being mainstreamed, if you will, um, you know that was that essentially everyone is going to have their own 3D printer at home. They're going to be able to print their own spoons or or you know glasses or whatever you want, you know, um, at, or parts if something breaks, you know. Uh, that to date, that really hasn't happened. Um, do you think you know? Do you think three D printing, uh, you know, has another kind of jolt left in it to kind of you know, uh, in, in terms of c- consumer use? I know, I know, from an enterprise level, a lot of pe- a lot of companies use three D printing, obviously. Um, but on a consumer level, um, do you think that we're going to see you know three D printers coming back and and being pushed and marketed more heavily uh, at people? Uh. I think I think what happened is when we started is we 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 didn't good do as an industry we didn't do a good job of saying this is what it really is. Now there's categories that it really is. For instance, if you want to do art, well then a 3D printer does a great job in art. But if you want to do anything structural, it doesn't do a great job. If you want to mm-hmm. do anything as concept, where you look at it, and you can touch it three dimensionally, it's a great job. Then you got a resolution issue. How, what's the resolution of the printer? In other words, each each time you lay down a drop or you lay down a, an extrusion, you have a you have a a, a line there, and you, and those two parts are being glued together. Those are all breakpoints. It's not a homogeneous material, unless you take that and use another process like gloss wax to put it in the metal. Now there are metal processes that do today that are that are pretty pretty sophisticated and it is getting sophisticated but it's an industrial process not a home process so home process you can make nice uh you know rings a kid can wear you can make you can't make you can make a pair of glasses but they're not going to be glasses you can see through you might be able to make the frames there's a lot of things you can make and a lot of things you can't make but people have in their head that oh 3d printer i can make anything no you really can't and so the industry has sold itself that that there are limitations. Right. 
What what so what when you filed the patent? What what were you thinking of uh, use cases? What were like personally? What were you thinking about um, utilizing uh, the patent for? Oh well, the first thing I had was uh, visualizing a battlefield. Quite frankly, <laughs> that you could print the battlefield. I mean, think about it. You could you could print the battlefield in in real time. You know, uh, now again, you got to remember this is nineteen eighty. Computers were just starting. I, I got a degree in electrical engineering in 74, and I was still designing with zeros and ones, mm-hmm. literally. And, and and I will say something else, too, that's kind of important in that era is uh, I was offered a job at uh, uh, a national semiconductor uh, out in, in in California, and I turned it down. And I, because I was a local guy, you know, and I was married at the time, and I had I had family all around. And so I chose not to leave South Carolina. When I came up with this idea, uh, I mean, I have friends today that would tell me, I can't, I, I always thought you were just smoking too much dough. And, <laughs> and therefore, therefore, there was no, you know, I couldn't understand it. And they understand it now. But there was nobody in South Carolina that knew how to even talk about it. We had, we had so little technical skills now flip side is today that's a whole different world out there in south carolina we're very advanced now but in 1980 no way gotcha that's, in- that's interesting that's your answer was not what i what i had expected at all um so that, that's really cool uh so i want to talk now uh, you know you've been an entrepreneur for decades now you you found you found success in, in multiple areas um I, I'd love for you to kind of provide, you know, some more advice in terms of what are, what are your like top three kind of things that you tell people uh, that you would, you know, tell other entrepreneurs, uh, you know, if they were seeking advice on something from you? Well, the first the first thing I'd, I'd, I'd tell people is, you know, every every entrepreneur is different. We're not all the same. And when you when you hear my story, you only hear my story. That's not that's not that may fit or may not fit you. And and entrepreneurs. Uh, so so for instance, I'm an inventor. Okay, so I'm a visionary entrepreneur. Uh, I'm crappy at running organizations. I was lucky that I had good products and people gravitated toward me that liked to run organizations. Took me a while to figure out that is, once I got out of the way, the company ran really well. But it also needed me to make sure that things things kept out on the leading edge. There are entrepreneurs who uh, are are more entrepreneurs, meaning that that they're good second in command. Not everybody wants to be that lead dog out there and take the beatings that we sometimes get. So number one is figure out what kind of entrepreneur you are. What are your skill sets? What what can you do and what can you not do? And and then the second one is it's really hard. It's it's not easy. Um, I, I find people that that irritate me at times. You know, they just think if they get close to me, I'm going to tell them the secret, and then they won't <laughs> have to do anything. They'll know the secret. And I go, you know, the secret is number one: sure. a lot of hard work, a lot of hard hours, and a, you know, a good portion of luck thrown in there also. Uh, so. So and they, and it frustrates especially some of the younger crowd who have gotten used to having trophies. Um, I can remember times when I couldn't make payroll and I've, I've I've put my head in my hands and just and cried. I mean, literally, it's that hard. 
and and then I then I think the last thing on entrepreneurialism is, boy, build those people around you. Uh, when you when you find good ones, you got to you're going to build your culture, and culture is incredibly important. And I, I used to be a little, uh, you know, you could call it arrogant, but you could also call it, you know, the culture I built. I didn't realize I was building it, but it was if you can make it here a year, you're good. And because if you if you were a slacker or you didn't do your job, I'd fire you in a heartbeat because I couldn't afford to pay you. And so what happened is we built a culture around people that went, oh, I've been here over a year. I'm really good. Then what happened is people started taking on that mantra. Hey, we're the best there is. And they didn't allow anybody slack in the company. And that was one of the things that made the company really roar. And then we're, then everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people enjoyed outthinking me. And so we had this little game going on uh, where, okay, I can do it better. And I'm a thing person, so I build things. So I would challenge the whole industry. That's why the kayak industry for quite a few years never had anybody that copied each other. It was my, my, my charge to the industry was don't copy me, beat me. And if you come out with something, I won't copy you, but I'll make a better product. And so that was kind of the culture that came up through the kayaking industry in the early days. And there was a lot of great innovators in the industry. Some that I've gone up against that I just admire to this day as being incredibly smart kayakers. So those are the three things. Nice. Bill, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Those are all solid uh, pieces of advice. Um, Having having uh, built uh, a company that I started when I was 13, uh, Best Techie, and then continued to build it while in school, and having started uh, an analytics company that uh, didn't work out in the end, um, but I worked on it for four years, I could tell you, you know, there are there are no sh- there are no shortcuts to- in entrepreneurship. It's a lot of hard work. Uh, a lot of hard about- work. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you wholeheartedly about the company culture aspect as well. Uh, definitely good tips there. Uh, Bill Masters, I appreciate you being on. Before I let you go, uh, I'd, I'd love to have you sit uh, for the lightning round. So uh, whenever you're ready, you let me know and we'll get started. Okay. You're looking for one word or some short answers? Yeah, exactly. Or okay. yes, or whatever you like better. Here we go. Yeah, far, far away. All right. The most important characteristic for an entrepreneur to have is? Integrity. Mac or PC? Oh boy, uh, I have a Mac. I, I don't so, like the constraints, but but I get frustrated with the the battle from the grave to the to the to the CEO of the ones still alive and the one that's dead. But they're both brilliant. So so you're going with Mac then? I'm a Mac. Okay, best place to go kayaking. Chatuga River, Section 3. I had a feeling you were going to say Chatuga River. Yeah, the second one is Lake Kayaking, Lake Joe Cassie, northwest corner of South Carolina. Awesome. All right, so music or movies? Music. Nice. And the very last one, this hopefully this one's a little bit easy, uh, the last book you read. <laughs> snakes and suits the, the, the only book the the, the 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 absolute reading for a entrepreneur snakes and suits 
It's about sociopaths in business. Who's the author of that book? Don't know, I, but I, but it, it's it is mandatory reading. Snakes and suits. I'll definitely. Uh, have to three percent of the population. Yeah, three percent of the population is sociopaths, and they they over the last thirty years they have gravitated greatly to business. And watch out! You got to know that personality. They'll they'll take you down. But I, you know, I I almost rather that they do that than like you know murder people or something. So I guess that's I guess that's a positive use of their uh, their illness. <laughs> if you will. <laughs> All right, Bill Masters. If if uh, if anyone wants to get in, in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, Bill at BillMasters.com. Excellent. Well, thanks a lot, Bill. I really appreciate you being on the on this episode of the podcast. I look forward to keeping in touch. Okay, thank you, sir. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.